From the story that Amy Pop told today, The Cure. Maggie becomes sick, deeply ill, and will never be well again. People in her life, after she becomes ill, either leave or stay away. But three people do come to her, the doctor, the minister, and the magician. They promise to use their best tools to find a cure for her. And Maggie is so deeply grateful. But then they leave. And Maggie is alone again. After three days, the doctor, the minister, and the magician all return. And they tell her the very bad news. We're sorry, they say. We couldn't find a cure. We did our very best. And every one of her friends begins to cry. And Maggie's response, not how could you have failed me? How could you not have used all your tools to the best of your ability? How could this not have worked out the way you promised me? It was none of that. Maggie's response was, please don't cry. Before I was sick, I had many friends, and now they're all afraid to visit me. The disease I have is a terrible one, but it's nothing compared to the loneliness I felt the last few days. I now know that loneliness is the worst disease of all. And then she says, right now the medicine I most need is your friendship. The prayer I need most is for you to simply be with me. And the magic I need most is your love. And so the doctor and the minister and the magician gathered around the little girl, laid their hands upon her, and in that silence, it is said they found the cure. I've heard the story many, many times, and I've told it again and again. And every chance I can, I come back to it. And every time I am reminded of how our best intentions can have a quite different impact. I am reminded of how to return to what matters most and how to articulate that and name it. What does it mean, we can ask with this story, to be fed and sustained and rebuilt in all the times when we are broken and suffering. What really makes the difference for us? How can we become more whole, more at peace, to be fulfilled in our deepest needs? The Soul Matters theme for this month is healing. And healing is a big question right now for all that we are struggling with as a country and all across the globe with our pandemic, all that we are working on and navigating with people naming and trying to articulate and fight against systems of oppression, all that we are struggling with, with realizing how there are consequences to what we have done to our planet. 
and so much more. So with the question of healing, when that came up, I think that is one of those words that I think I understand what's meant by that. I've made assumptions about what I understand, but I've not necessarily spent all the time that I could with saying, what does that, what does it mean to heal? What does it mean in our lives? What are the goals and expectations and aspirations? And where do, do mixed messages and mixed understandings of what healing might look like? How does that get us in trouble with our own hearts and with our, each other as well? There's so many different meanings, uh, so many different ways we can talk about the nature of healing. Certainly the physical and the personal, the emotional, the psychological. But there's also the systems that are broken around us, uh, the ways we have put our world together that don't actually function the way they were intended or function in a way that hurts far more people um, than we expected. But there's also those systems that are within us that are struggling and broken. What have we have learned from bias, how we've learned oppression, how we have been ourselves dehumanized or desensitized to not respecting the worth and dignity of our neighbors, or sometimes ourselves. All of this and more is part of the conversation around healing and what that could mean and where to go with it. In Unitarian Universalism, I think uh, rather than make assumptions around understanding healing, we can embrace working towards kind of grasping what can that mean uh, as we are open to new truth and we are open to embracing language and thinking and, and discovering what we might learn in the process. I'm going to say to begin with that healing certainly is a, not just a head experience, but a head-to-toe experience. So some of the ways I've looked at healing in, def in def definitions includes the process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. I'll say it again. The process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. Now, even with just a short definition such as that, there are all manner of expectations and goals and assumptions. What does health mean? What does being sound mean? Uh, what are you intending to have happen and what actually is possible? Um, who measures recovery? What kind of timeline uh, is projected? All of those are aspects of becoming more whole and becoming healed. What's also true is it happens that healing is an ongoing vocation in my family. Uh, now, I'm in the world of ministry, and one of my brothers, Will, is in medicine. Uh, he is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. So there's some ways in which he's kind of a body mechanic. Um, but he also is trying to be mindful of what's possible and how to be caring in the course of the healing process. And every so often, we talk about our respective vocations. He is gracious enough to offer me kind of an essential definition of, of healing for him, which is getting better, uh, moving toward a more normal or functional state. So 
I'll say again, moving toward a more normal or functional state. And I so appreciate that, that bit of definition. It's a more, but it's not absolute. It's a more functional. But that doesn't mean it's a singular goal or an absolute state of being, or a complete finish. It's going to as close as possible. Now, full range and full recovery, you might say, to whatever was the optimal condition before would be great. But there's a lot of room for what is the best that we can accomplish. I think that's something to take to heart in thinking about healing in all aspects of our lives. How can we be more functional? We often talk about, in religious language, becoming more whole. And I think that's also a part of this, but becoming more functional. How do we fulfill what is most important to us, what we say we value? Uh, Compassion and love and freedom of expression and the search for truth and meaning. And doing that in our beloved community as a congregation, but also in our larger world. But my problem, uh, the problem is how to consider this as the follow-up in the course of our post-election moment here. I think this message is part of that post-election hangover that's going to linger for a while to come. Some of the messaging that we've been hearing has been advocating for unity and calling for healing. And I think those are important. But it's also a bit soon to be asking that. I don't know, I know some of you, like me, have had something of a visceral visceral response to being asked to talk about unity and healing right away. Or even just naming that so soon feels too soon. It's like, wait a minute. Am I supposed to move on without seeing any accountability or consequences to what's been destructive in our lives and in the country, to denying the pandemic, to undermining the election process and seeking to disenfranchise millions of voters? Hold on a second. We get to experience no consequences for racism, for misogyny, for the bare exercise of power for the benefit of just a few that's a little hard to that's a little hard to enter into this idea of unity and healing right away and for some of us the question actually is even more difficult because for some of us it's very very personal and how are we going to relate to members of our family who are taking up such a different place and position and worldview than us. Who seem to, who can, sometimes when we can feel like we're told to love our neighbors and yet our neighbors and ourselves can live in entirely different worlds and yet be across the street. So what, what might healing mean now? could that look like? 
I can appreciate that kind of more functional state, as Will says. Our systems and our emotional and institutional and social systems, there's so many ways in which they're not conditioned to attend to our health and well-being. Where the focus is on money, on monetizing, on becoming a product, and there's little room for the human, for how do we take care of our families? How do we take care of ourselves? And how do we enrich our lives and more than simply produce and survive? How do we reconcile the experience of all the stresses in our lives, all demands placed upon us, and balance those out with where do we in fact feed ourselves well, play, have joy, sing, discover, and grow as human beings. Part of the challenge is that we're often not, we don't necessarily, as human beings, we aren't necessarily taught how to do emotional cycles and systems well. So for this moment in this conversation about healing, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the emotional work, as I think that can translate out to a lot of the other pieces that we need to handle. I'm reminded of um, the work from Amelia and Emily Nagoski in their book, Burnout. And they emphasize the importance of completing the cycle of stress through the body, our body, mind, and spirit to let our emotions, as they're coming into us and as we're dealing with the world, figure out how to fully allow that emotion to process in ourselves and let it go, that it doesn't keep hanging around. In various ways, I've seen said that when the past remains in the present, it becomes your future. That when we're frozen in not fully addressing our emotional health, then it keeps going on and on and on and not resolving. So right now, in this moment, I will give you permission, wherever you are, however you are, as you are, to tend to yourself, especially beginning with the emotional health. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the emotional cycle of processing but I also do so with the caveat ahead of time, which is for some of us, many of us, we've known actual trauma in our lives. And addressing feelings directly is much more complicated than for those of us who don't have deep histories of trauma. So what I describe may trigger. And I invite you to take a break, really. If you are in a process, if you haven't addressed particularly awful incidents in your life, go at your own speed. This is truly important. And as I invite us into some of this emotional work, I want to offer that at the very least, please be, please hear that I recognize your experiences as yours as your feelings. And I'm not going to convince you otherwise. And 
This is also the work of a lifetime. It's not going to get fixed up in one sermon. That's also the true either. That's also the case. But I do want to take us through the process of paying attention to our emotions. So this is from Emily McDowell. And she says, how to feel your feelings. A thing that sounds obvious, but totally isn't. We're not necessarily taught to feel our feelings. So bear with me. So first, an unpleasant feeling arises, whether by something that's happened to us in our response to it, or simply, simply something that comes from within our reaction to something. An unpleasant feeling arises. And your mind, second, your mind launches into whatever inner story accompanies that feeling. The inner story can look like this. I'm unlovable. I'm a loser. I resent my face. Nobody is going to love me and nobody needs me. Those are just a couple of examples. But those are all inner stories. Those are thinking the feelings. Emily says, stop. Those are thinking the feelings and letting the mind kind of spin. The way to address that is to redirect our mind away from those thoughts and into sensations in the body. So redirect the mind away from the thought and go to the body. Mentally name the feelings that are going on inside, physically. You know, my chest is tight. I can't breathe. My face is flushed. I see, I feel, I can tell how this is showing up in my body. And when you direct to the sensations, breathe into that. Breathe into it and allow it. Give your body permission to express what's going on. And you could cry or shake Maybe not while you're out shopping at Target or something like that, but, but give your body permission. If you can't do it in that moment, find another moment when you can. And give your body permission to actually physically respond to what's going on. Your mind will want to go back to the thought story mode to help to kind of capture and frame and resolve what's going on. And every moment that happens, redirect awareness back to the body, back to whatever is going on inside physically, and name that again. And lastly, take a breath. Deep, if that works for you. Take a breath and keep feeling it into your body. Let the feeling exist. Let the feeling be there. And then trust that it will leave. It won't be forever. If 
you tend to it, you allow it to pass and trust that it will leave. Observe it changing. The feeling is not a fixed point. Watch it move. And then afterward, realize how much you've survived. Chaplain Karen Van Clack offers an added point. That there's an element to this cycle of recognizing one's feelings. That it's also okay that if the naming of the feelings and the experience of them is too overwhelming, too intense, more than you feel like you can actually handle in that moment, it's okay to go back to some of the thinking and touch back, go back and forth into the physical sensations. Break a little bit and return. And regardless if it's too difficult, if you can't do it alone, you're also not a failure. There's nothing wrong. It's okay to get actual help from people who know how to help humans work through these feelings. And if you get to explore again. The process of going through the emotional cycle belongs to each one of us. Belongs to every one of us. And the upcoming holidays may be a time to make a plan to seek help and reset those emotional systems after the kind of crash that many of us are feeling after this election and while things are still up in the air, still unsettled. None of the effort happens all at once. And as I talked a little bit about grief a couple of weeks ago, grief alone as an experience surprises us, surprises me at the most unexpected times. It's not that that disappears, but we can recognize how to acknowledge it, experience it, and let it pass through us. Those pesky emotions run their own schedules, not necessarily ours, but as part of our human experience. The practice of feeling the feelings as part of helping us become more whole and more functional, it seems obvious to say it. But so often in our learning and our growing, we're so good at teaching each other to deny our response, to squash our reaction to something from our family, from our society. We have learned terribly bad habits, many of us, and denying the worth of emotional work. Or worse, 
we've been told, still are being told, we've made progress, but still are being told that therapy and sharing are weak. Um, it's sexist alone because it's associated, crying can still be associated with women and not with strong men. We have so much to overcome. As Unitarian Versalists, we get to keep exploring our central values include being open to truth, new truth, and examining history and its impact on the present and future. One of our greatest superpowers is being willing and able to name, to recognize, to pause long enough to say, this is what's happening right now. And then what shall we do about it? We get to name ourselves as emotional creatures. As much as we talk about reason, freedom, and tolerance and put reason often at the front, it's still a new skill in human development. There's reasons why my practices of mindfulness are practices and repeat the same basic instructions again and again. But with practice, with letting our, ourselves fully experience what's happening in the moment, we can become more whole and more functional. It's more. It's not absolute. It's more functional, not with one particular goal, but a full range of what could be coming and see where we could go to get better and better again. Activist and singer Holly Near reminds us, we are gentle, angry people, and we are singing, singing for our lives. We are gentle, angry people, and we are singing, singing for our lives. And I would say that we are feeling for our lives, and that we are healing for our lives. May we move forward towards becoming more healed and more whole. May we grow stronger. May we rebuild. May we mend. And may we hold and care for our broken hearts. So may it be.